And that will do it. The final score from Columbus, 45 to 23. Michigan improves to 12 and 0. And the Wolverines head to the Big Ten Championship next week in Indianapolis as they defeat the Buckeyes for the first time in Columbus since 2000. Welcome to the Chatting Yardage Podcast, presented by Sports Strength. Now, here's your host, Cam Matthews. Welcome to your friendly neighborhood college football podcast. Welcome to Chatting Yardage. Part of the Chatting Average family and brought to you by our friends at Sports Drink. Hello, everybody. Welcome once again to the show. I am your host, Mr. Cam Matthews. You can find me on Twitter at HeyCam93. You can also follow the show and be part of the conversation each and every single week at Chatting Yardage. Uh, Week 13 has come and gone, and of course that means, for the most part, the conclusion of the regular season for 2022. Now, we do, uh, as always, have the Army-Navy game coming up next Saturday, but we'll talk about that at great length um, in our next episode, but it's hard to believe that you know, 13, really 14 weeks, if you count week zero, uh, weeks of football have gone by just like that, and you know... I feel like we got a heavy dose of chaos this year, um, a lot of unpredictable uh, or unforeseen events uh, really took place this season. You know, who could have foreseen Alabama having two regular season losses this year? Um, who could have seen, you know, uh, this, that, and the other, you know, especially like Tennessee having the season that they did or a team like Tulane, you know, having such a great season and making it into the top 25, you know. A lot of interesting things have happened this year, and now this coming Saturday we head into what is conference championship weekend, and a few of those games we already we already knew the matchups uh, they were they were already pretty much set in stone, uh, but there were still a few that still had to had to get set up based on this past week's event. So we'll go ahead and dive into our, our week thirteen review. Of course, we'll start with the pick six games of the week. These were six games that I thought were interesting, and I thought you should as well. We'll start with the Egg Bowl, which happened on Thanksgiving night. Mississippi State takes down Ole Miss, uh, who was number 20 at the time. 24-22 to is your final score there. Really good back-and-forth game. Had quite a bit of chaos towards the end, which is to be expected in the Egg Bowl. Uh, you know, it's always a fun game to kind of tune into each and every year. I know typically on Thanksgiving, at least personally, you know, you enjoy the, the, the lunch game and then you enjoy the afternoon game. But Thursday night, especially, you know, whenever they do play on Thanksgiving, which they do most years, 
I'm tuning into the Egg Bowl because I know I'm going to get an entertaining game. Uh, so Mississippi State takes down Ole Miss in their rivalry game. Uh, in the AAC, Tulane, number 19, takes down number 24, Cincinnati. 27-24 is your final score there. Uh, really good back-and-forth contest that was close pretty much the entire way, uh, but the Green Wave able to come out on top of that one. Uh, in double overtime, NC State takes down number 17, UNC, 30-27. That game was in Chapel Hill. Uh, a game that it felt like at times Carolina just could not really get anything going offensively. Uh, NC State playing, gosh, with like their fourth string quarterback uh, in this game, able to put uh, put 30 points on the board that night. And uh, Carolina had a chance to send it to triple overtime and, and unfortunately shank the what would have been the game-tying field goal, uh, giving the win to NC State. So uh, two years in a row now the Wolfpack have defeated the Tar Heels. Uh, Carolina, you know, of course, will move on to the conference, to the ACC championship game uh, this coming Saturday, while State will await to see uh, what what bowl game they'll end up at. Of course, we'll know all of that uh, this coming Sunday and talk about that next week. The big game of the week that I think everybody had their eyes on because of what, uh, you know, not only because it's a huge rivalry, but of course what it meant for the landscape of uh, of the Big Ten and the, co- the college football playoff this year. Number three, Michigan just decimates number two, Ohio State. 45-23 to 23 is your final score. That was in Columbus. Uh, a game that Ohio State, you know, was on top of for the, for the first half, and then in the second half, Michigan just uh, ran away with it. Ohio State only, um, only scored a field goal in the entire second half, and Michigan really just, you know, kind of took this game and, and, you know, took it out of arm's length of the Buckeyes. So Ohio State now out of the Big Ten championship game this Saturday. Michigan is in, seemingly in the college football playoff, barring anything wild happening against Purdue, which I don't necessarily foresee uh, in Ohio State seemingly out of the playoff unless a lot of crazy things happen this Saturday. Uh, You know, one loss, I'm not going to say they're completely out, but it's going to take a few losses ahead of them uh, for them to get in. Oregon falls to Oregon State, 34-38. to uh, That one at Oregon State. Good one there. Uh, Oregon's third loss on the year. Oregon State, uh, really good win. You know, kind of one of the, the exclamation point wins, so to speak, on their season. Uh, taking down who was at, at the time number nine, Ducks. And then uh, out in Southern California, USC number six takes down number 15, Notre Dame. 38-27 to is your final there. So USC will move on to the Pac-12 championship this Saturday and is now in line uh, to make the playoff, uh, barring, uh, barring a loss, of course, to Utah uh, this coming Saturday night. We'll go ahead and dive into... The, the rest of the conferences, Georgia Tech falls to Georgia, 37-14 is your final in Athens. Kentucky takes down Louisville, 26-13. Missouri defeats Arkansas, 29-27. And Arkansas, I think, you know, if you if you had asked them through the first three weeks of the season, they would have told you that they were a better team than 6-6, six and six, which is where they ended up. So a bit of a disappointing year there for the Razorbacks. Texas A&M takes down LSU 38-23 because that rivalry always just gets insanely weird. And so LSU's hope of even making the playoff with an upset against Georgia pretty much out the window at this point. Uh, In the Iron Bowl, Alabama defeats Auburn 49-27, a game that the the Tide was pretty much in, in... 
in hand with the entire way. Not really any any surprise there. But what was a surprise? South Carolina takes down Clemson 31 to 30 at Clemson, snapping uh, the Tigers' home winning streak, uh, which I believe was the longest in the country to this point. Uh, South Carolina with a huge upset win. Not their first upset win this season, but seemingly knocking Clemson out of the college football playoff, although uh, Dabo Sweeney and company will be playing for the ACC championship this coming Saturday, of course. And then Tennessee takes down Vanderbilt 56 to nothing. Vanderbilt will finish the season at 5-7, and seven, so so much for a six-win season. Uh, but we knew taking down Tennessee was going to be a task for the Commodores. Now into the ACC, Florida State takes down Florida 45-38. to Good win there for the Seminoles on what has been a very solid season, I think. And, you know, they feel like they're possibly trending in the right direction. Uh, Duke takes down Wake Forest 31-24 to is your final there. Uh, Syracuse defeats Boston College 32-23. to The Cuse, having lost five in a row after starting the season 6-0, managed to squeak out another win here at the end of the year to finish off 6-6. Six and six. But again, you start the season off 6-0 and and then finish with a 500 record. Uh, things have not exactly gone well for you. Pitt defeats Miami 42-16. And if you saw pictures out of Miami Gardens of the attendance in that game, you can tell that, boy, that... That program is in a bad way right now. And then, of course, the Virginia and Virginia Tech game was canceled this past Saturday. Those two teams deciding not to play uh, in wake of the tragic events at Virginia. Um, So, uh, you know, those players making the decision to not play that game, which is completely understandable. Into the Big Ten, uh, Nebraska defeats Iowa 24-17. Penn State handles Michigan State. 35-16 35-16 to 16 is your final there. The Maryland Terrapins finish off their year with a de- dominant win over Rutgers, 37 to nothing uh, in that one. Illinois takes down Northwestern, 41-3. Northwestern ends the year with only one win. Of course, that one win being against Nebraska all the way back in Week 0 in Ireland. Minnesota defeats Wisconsin, 23-16 to 16, uh, in the battle for Paul Bunyan's axe. And then Purdue takes down Indiana 30-16, punches their ticket to the Big Ten championship game against Michigan. Into the Big 12, uh, Baylor falls to Texas 38-27. TCU handles Iowa State pretty handily 62-14 as uh, as the Horned Frogs head into the Big 12 championship this weekend. Kansas State defeats Kansas 47-27. Oklahoma State falls to West Virginia 24-19. And Suddenly, Oklahoma State, who was having a really good start to the year, finishes off on a disappointing note against the struggling Mountaineers. Texas Tech defeats Oklahoma 51-28. Oklahoma will finish their year at 6-6, which I think is a surprise to most. And in the Pac-12, UCLA defeats Cal 35-28. Arizona defeats Arizona State 38-35. Washington State falls to Washington 51-33 in that one. Uh, Utah handles Colorado pretty easily 63-21. And in Stanford, BYU takes down the Stanford Cardinals 35-26. And of course, Stanford now has decided to move on from their head coach, which feels like it was time. So there's another vacancy out on the West Coast. 
Looking at top 25 for the college football playoff, new additions, NC State at 25, Mississippi State 24, and South Carolina, who was not ranked last week, comes in at 19. Out of the top 25, Ole Miss, Cincinnati, and Louisville all drop out. Your biggest drops, LSU drops nine slots from five to 14. Oregon drops seven spots from nine all the way down to 16. Your biggest climbers, Oregon State, 21 to 15, jumping up six spots for just by defeating Oregon. And we have numerous teams climbing up three different spots, so it was going to be hard to go through all of those. Now looking at your top four as we head into conference championship weekend. We knew it was going to shape out after the Michigan-Ohio State game, and so here's how it lands. Georgia, number one. Michigan, number two. TCU, number three. And USC, number four. So we'll see how that ends up next week. Now, of course, with this being uh, championship weekend, we have the Selection Sunday the very following day. So, uh, we'll certainly know next week who's in and what bowls these teams are all going to. Well, that's enough rambling to start off the show. We'll go ahead and jump into our first segment. As always, this is Four Down Territory. First Down. As the 2022 regular season has concluded, the myriad of hirings of head coaches have begun. Matt Rule, former head coach at Temple and Baylor, and most recently, and most infamously, the coach of the Carolina Panthers, takes over the reins at Nebraska. Luke Fickle, a Midwest native with a head coaching record of 62-24 and in six seasons at Cincinnati, including taking them to the college football playoff last season, will now move up to the University of Wisconsin in what might be the best hire of the offseason that we see. And then there's Auburn. Seemingly a two-man race for the job between Ole Miss head coach Lane Kiffin and Liberty head coach Hugh Freeze, the university, AD, and boosters chose the latter. And with that decision comes an entire load of extra baggage. In the past few days since reports of Auburn's hiring of Hugh Freeze began to surface, the football coach's past transgressions have returned to the forefront, from NCAA violations under his watch at Ole Miss to his social media use. The overall reaction was part of the pushback to Freeze's hire on social media and in the email boxes of athletic director John Cohen school president Chris Roberts, and other Auburn head, uh, Board of Trustee members. Fans expressed dismay about Freeze's candidacy on multiple fronts. Some reacted to Freeze's uh, responses to tweets posted by a student who sued Liberty, Freeze's previous employer, for its inaction regarding sexual assault allegations before Freeze got there. Other fans were disturbed by additional scandals that have followed Freeze in the past. Incidents go back to the late 1990s, where three women who were students at Briarcrest Christian School in Memphis told USA Today in 2017 that Freeze made them feel uncomfortable with inappropriate behavior. That year, the coach was forced to resign from Mississippi after an internal investigation found, quote, a concerning pattern, unquote, of calls to escort services on his school-issued cell phone. When the program was under investigation for NCAA violations, Freeze and others at the school tried to spin the situation to recruits and media as primarily an issue involving other sports or his predecessor, Houston Nutt. When the lengthy NCAA notice of allegations came out, that turned out to be false. The violations yielded a two-year postseason ban and major recruiting restrictions. Freeze was asked about the response to his hiring at an introductory press conference Tuesday when Cohen was not made available for questions and gave only a short prepared statement introducing Freeze. Freeze said, quote, I really don't know the magnitude of the backlash because, believe it or not, 
I just hadn't been on an, on social media any of the last three or four weeks. I have an account, but someone else has been running it, so I really don't know. This past weekend, however, when reports around Auburn hiring freeze increased, a tweet from a former Liberty University student put Freeze's Twitter use into the spotlight. Chelsea Andrews, one of the 22 students who sued Liberty in 2021 for its inaction regarding sexual assault allegations, had been vocal on Twitter both while the lawsuit was pending and after it was settled in May. One of the arguments from Andrews and the complainants was that the private school's institutional policies created a culture that perpetuated sexual violence, which had a chilling effect on the women who reported it. In screenshots shown to Sports Illustrated, Freeze direct messaged Andrews three times while he coached at Liberty, twice while the lawsuit was active, and another after it was settled. Each message came shortly after she either tweeted directly at the coach or mentioned him by name without tagging him. Andrew said that she told her lawyer at the time and was advised not to answer the messages. She also decided to stop tagging Freeze in tweets. Andrew said, It felt at the time intimidating. Why is he doing this? Leave me alone. You don't need to intimidate me out of the experience that I know. According to sources close to the Auburn head coach, Freeze agreed to relinquish control of his social media accounts. What specifically, when specifically asked about this at Tuesday's press conference, Freeze said, that's not accurate. How could you do that in this day and age? There may be wisdom in that, though. When asked later on Tuesday to clarify his comments regarding who has access to his social media, Freeze said in statements to Sports Illustrated, I have to focus on a lot more important things at Auburn than social media. Like most coaches, I welcome the extra help from our staff to work alongside me to help build this great program. Plus, I'm not great at making graphics. Sports Illustrated also asked for a response around Freeze's direct message to Andrews. An Auburn spokesperson denied Sports Sports Illustrated's request, only to point out a comment the coach gave to ESPN late Tuesday. I learned from this situation that I should totally understand other people's circumstances first before communicating or commenting on someone's situation. It was an inadvertent misstep with no ill intent, and I'm sorry. The majority of college head coaches use Twitter via public account or private burner accounts to monitor news, what people say about them, and players and recruits. It is also customary for schools' in-house social media departments to have access to a coach's account to tweet recruiting graphics or hashtags when a player commits. In the past, though, Freeze has been known to heavily use Twitter to send messages, whether in dealings with fans, detractors, or reporters. As is the case when most coaches are hired, Freeze does not have a full signed contract, but rather a Memorandum of Understanding, or an MOU, a document that allows him to work on behalf of the university without a full contract. When that full contract is signed, it could include guardrails against various actions, including social media use, in order to protect the university. Such clauses are not rare. Coach Mark Stoops' original contract with Kentucky allows for termination with cause for, quote, acts of misconduct, including, but not limited to, conviction of a felony, in addition to violation of university policies or NCAA bylaws. Eli Drinkwitz's deal at Missouri says he cannot, quote, make statements to the media or in any public forum that is clearly contrary to public convention or morals or commit any act that may foreseeably bring coach or the university into public attempt, scorn, or ridicule, or that seriously offends public morals or decency as a result of such conduct or act, end quote. 
While it may seem overprotective for a football coach to have to agree to a clause that stipulates social media use, Freeze will be one of the highest paid public employees in the state of Alabama, with his salary being over $6.5 million, and arguably Auburn University's highest profile front-facing ambassador. Now if they can only keep an eye on his cell phone call history. Second down. One of the most talked about incidents from this season was the skirmish after the rivalry game between Michigan State and Michigan, in which cameras spotted numerous Spartan players seemingly assaulting a lone Wolverine. Earlier this week, the Big Ten released an official statement on the matter. The Big Ten Conference has thoroughly reviewed the post-game altercations between the Michigan State University and the University of Michigan football teams at Michigan Stadium in Ann Arbor, Michigan on October 29th, 2022. The conference determined that during the postgame, seven Michigan State University student-athletes participated in the hitting, kicking, or using of their helmet to strike University of Michigan student-athletes. One additional Michigan State University student-athlete was involved in the incident, but it is inconclusive as to whether he actively participated in the physical altercation. A Michigan State University football staff member was involved in a separate sportsmanship matter, which was in violation of the Big Ten Conference sportsmanship policy. The conference has also concluded that the University of Michigan did not meet the standards of the Big Ten Conference football game management manual policy. The policy requires that the conference member institution game host to provide adequate protection for personnel of both home and visiting teams when entering and leaving playing areas. Members of both teams did not represent the level of sportsmanship that is expected from the Big Ten Conference and its member institutions. The Big Ten Conference is imposing the following disciplinary action. For the University of Michigan, in accordance to protocol outlined in the Big Ten Conference football game management manual policy, a public reprimand is issued to the University of Michigan. The conference has concluded that the University of Michigan did not meet the standards of the Big Ten Conference football game management manual policy. The policy requires the conference member institution game to host to provide adequate protection to personnel both home and visiting teams when entering and leaving playing areas, as stated earlier. The Michigan State University fined $100,000. Disciplinary action. Four games from the incident date plus the first eight games of the 2023 season. That suspension is handed down to student-athlete Kerry Crump, a cornerback, number 14. The following players have received a four-game suspension from the incident date and a self-imposed suspension uh, when complete and is sufficient and has been completed. Etavion Brown, defensive end, number 19. Angelo Gross, safety, number 15. Justin White, cornerback, number 30. Jacoby Windman, linebacker number four, Brandon Wright, defensive end number 26, and Zion Young, defensive end number 18. Michigan State has also inflicted a self-imposed suspension uh, against student-athlete Malcolm Jones, number 36, and a football staff member from Michigan State has been addressed by the university. Third down. The last remaining obstacle to, to expanding the college football playoff to 12 teams in 2024 and 2025 has been cleared. The Rose Bowl reached an agreement that officially paves the way for the college football playoff to expand in the final two seasons of its current contract, 24 and 25. The first round of the playoff in 2024 will take place in the week ending Saturday, December 21st at either the home field of the higher-seeded team or at another site designated by the higher-seeded school. 
So that'll be number 12 at number 5, number 11 at number 6, 10 at 7, and 9 at 8. The specific game dates, likely late in that week, will be announced later. For the 2024 and 2025 seasons, the four quarterfinal games and two semifinal games will be played in bowls on a rotating basis. The 2024 quarterfinals will take place in the Fiesta Bowl, Peach Bowl, Rose Bowl, and Sugar Bowl, while the Cotton Bowl and Orange Bowl will host the semifinals. In the next year, 2025, the quarterfinals will take place in the Cotton Bowl, Orange, and Rose, and Sugar Bowl, while the Fiesta Bowl and Peach Bowl will host the semifinals. Specific dates for all quarterfinal and semifinal games will be announced at a later time. The national championship games will be played in January 20th, 2025 in Atlanta and January 19th, 2026 in Miami. In early September, the College Football Playoff Board of Managers voted to expand the CFP to 12 teams starting in 2026 at the latest. With nearly $450 million at stake in the final two years of the current contract, the path toward expanding in those two seasons has been fraught with complications. But after months of haggling, getting the Rose Bowl on board loomed as the final step. The Rose Bowl needed to amend its contract as the other five so-called contract bowls needed to do in order to accommodate a new system. Ultimately, the Rose Bowl's cooperation loomed as the final barrier. A source told ESPN earlier this week that the Rose Bowl was essentially given an ultimatum to agree to terms or risk being shut out of the the next television contract, which begins in 2026. The Rose Bowl's request for special treatment included an exclusive window for the game, a television window considered one of the most valuable in sports, in years when the Rose Bowl wasn't hosting a college football playoff game on New Year's. Essentially, sources told ESPN that CFP officials told Rose Bowl officials this week that they'd make good faith efforts to work with them, but if the Rose Bowl wanted to take part in the next version of the CFP, it needed to accept a role that didn't include significant special favors. Thursday's announcement puts to an end the awkward and complex process to expand the college football playoff, which has epitomized the fractured and non-linear structure of college sports. To reach the September expansion decision to 12 teams, it took significant momentum swings that included introducing a 12-team proposal in June of 2021. That eventually got shot down amid conference infighting, leading to second-guessing on why a potential model was announced before it was approved by all the constituents. The following year, the college presidents who make up the CFP Board of Managers essentially decided to work backwards, first approving the 12-team model in September that would start in 26. They then targeted 2024 and 2025, which was always going to be complicated because it required presidents from all 10 conferences and Notre Dame to agree unanimously. Then the group of commissioners dove into months of meetings, calls, and all the details involving schedule, bowl games, game sets, the academic calendar, and television contract complications. Three full months later, the board of managers pushed through all the issues, revenue distribution being a big one, until finally solving the Rose Bowl conundrum on Wednesday night. The 12-team playoff will, in fact, start in the 2024 season, meaning just two more 14 playoffs this year and next before the sports postseason changes indelibly. Fourth down. To round out this week's four down territory, for fourth down, I thought it might be neat to just take a look through the final conference standings and see you know, where certain teams ended up. Uh, we won't go through the entire AAC, but Tulane ends the year at 10-2, UCF 9-3, and, and Cincinnati 
nine and three. So good seasons uh, for those teams. Whereas South Florida ends up at one and eleven, and we know that they are looking for a new head coach and. You know, one of the heavily considered names for that job is Deion Sanders. Of course, he is considered for numerous other jobs as well, specifically Cincinnati and Colorado. In the ACC, in the Atlantic, Clemson 10-2, Florida State 9-3, Syracuse 7-5, Louisville 7-5, NC State 8-4, Wake Forest 7-5, and Boston College finishes at 3-9. In the Coastal Division of the ACC, now mind you, this is the last year of uh, of divisions in the Atlantic Coast Conference. North Carolina finishes at 9 and 3, Pitt at 8 and 4, Duke at 8 and 4. Good season for them under first-year head coach Mike Elko, uh who is uh in you know, despite being a Carolina fan, I'll give the guy credit in that it feels like he's certainly building up a solid program there. Uh, and he's got those boys playing really well. Georgia Tech five and seven, Miami five and seven, Virginia three and seven, and Virginia Tech three and eight. Over to the Big Twelve, TCU of course finishes undefeated at twelve and zero. Kansas State nine and three, Texas eight and four, Texas Tech seven and five, Oklahoma State seven and five, Baylor, Oklahoma, and Kansas all finish at six and six. West Virginia five and seven, and Iowa State four and eight. Into the Big Ten in the East, Michigan finishes out the year undefeated at 12 and 0. Ohio State 11 and 1, Penn State 10 and 2, and I think that's a very sneaky 10 and 2 team, a team that could very well be going to the Rose Bowl, according to reports this week of Ohio State wanting the Orange Bowl. You know, consider the fact that Penn State's only two losses came to Ohio State and Michigan. They're a very good team. They just can't quite figure out how to win the big one as of late. Uh, Maryland finishes seven and five. Michigan State five and seven, and then Indiana and Rutgers both both finish four and eight in the East. In the West, Purdue and Illinois both finish at eight and four. Purdue, of course, heading to the uh, Big Ten championship game. Iowa seven and five. Minnesota eight and four. Not a bad year, but again. Feels like they still have just never quite gotten over that hump uh, that you know PJ Fleck is wanting to get them over. Wisconsin finishes six and six, Nebraska four and eight, and Northwestern one and eleven. Uh, now on to the Pac-12. USC finishes out the year eleven and one. Washington ten and two. Several nine and threes, including Oregon, Utah, Oregon State, and UCLA. Washington State finishes seven and five. Arizona five and seven. Cal four and eight, Arizona State and Stanford both three and nine, and the Colorado Buffaloes one and eleven. And then over to the SEC, Georgia twelve and zero, Tennessee ten and two, South Carolina eight and four, Kentucky seven and five, uh, Florida and Missouri both finished the year six and six. Florida, who jumped high up in the rankings after taking down Utah in week one, goes to show that week two rankings don't mean a whole heck of a lot as they finish with a five hundred record. And Vanderbilt finishes five and seven. Over to the SEC West, LSU finishes nine and three, Alabama ten and two. Uh, but, of course, LSU heading to the SEC championship game this Saturday. Michigan State and Ole Miss both finish 8-4. and four. Uh, Of course, that's heavily due in part to the Egg Bowl, uh, Egg Bowl result last Thursday night. Arizona, or in Arizona, Arkansas, as mentioned earlier, finishes 6-6. Six and six. And then Auburn and Texas A&M both finish 5-7. and seven. Texas A&M started that year as a top five team and suddenly is now not even bowl eligible here at the end of the year. Almost heaven, West Virginia, 
This is Alex Butler here with this week's Mascot Minute, where we take a deep dive into some of your favorite collegiate mascots. Today, we're going to look at the history of one of the simpler mascots in Division I college football, the Mountaineer from West Virginia University. Wearing the heavy custom buckskins and real coonskin cap, the Mountaineer carries not just the weight of the uniform, but the weight of West Virginia on his or her shoulders. The tradition began more than 90 years ago, and while the uniform looks nearly the same, the responsibilities of the position have certainly increased. The Mountaineer attends NCAA football, basketball, and baseball games, as well as gymnastics, soccer, volleyball, and wrestling matches, cheering on the Mountaineers in all venues. He or she also makes appearances at other sporting events, including West Virginia University club sports. Today, the Mountaineer attends more than 250 events per year outside the realm of athletic functions, appearing at schools, hospitals, civic organizations, and more. The West Virginia University Mountaineer mascot has gone through many changes throughout the years, from a fur vest and flannel shirt to the current buckskins and coonskin cap. However, one thing has never changed, the Mountaineer rifle. Marvin Wotering, a Morgantown gunsmith, made the Mountaineer's rifle from 1977 until his death, December 2nd, 2018. Wotering, known as the man behind the rifle, will sorely be missed by current and former Mountaineers. In 1927, Clay Krause served as the first unofficial Mountaineer mascot, and in 1934, Lawson Hill became the first official Mountaineer. Boyd Slim Arnold, the first Mountaineer to wear the now-traditional buckskin uniform, was also the first Mountaineer selected to serve three years in succession from 1937 to 1939 and was the longest tenured until Rock Wilson matched his three-year term. Developed in 1999, the passing of the rifle ceremony is held on the night before the Gold Blue Spring football game each year to acknowledge and thank the outgoing Mountaineer for all of his or her contributions to WVU and the state of West Virginia. The ceremony also introduces the newly chosen Mountaineer, and guests will welcome him or her to the position. At the end of the ceremony, the Mountaineer rifle is officially passed to the incoming Mountaineer. Are there any mascots that you'd like us to feature on the show? Hit us up at Chatting Yardage on Twitter and let us know. Once again, this has been Alex Butler with your Mascot Minute. Pick six. Now we're going to dive into this week's Pick 6 Games of the Week. Of course, these are six games that I find interesting and I believe you should too. 
And of course, with it being conference championship week, we're going to dive into the uh, the five power five championship games as well as a, as another one that's going to be very interesting to watch in the Pac-12 on Friday night, 8 p.m. on Fox. Pac-12 championship game between number 11 Utah and number four USC. Must win for the Trojans, of course. Uh, being at that, they are at number four. A win here likely uh, pretty much pretty much cements them going into the playoff this year. But Utah has been a sneaky good team all year. They've just fallen short in a few games that they probably shouldn't have, to be quite honest. But should be a good one on Friday night. And we head into Saturday's slate of games where our five other remaining games are. In the Big 12 championship game, you've got number 10 Kansas State taking on number 3 TCU at 12 p.m. on Fox. TCU has been uh, has kind of been walking on the razor's edge all season long. They've trailed in most of their games. I've had to come back in quite a few of them to remain 12 and 0. Kansas State, meanwhile, they're not afraid of, of the spotlight. They they're not afraid of um of taking down a team supposedly better than them. We've seen it this season, and these two teams had a really good game back earlier in the year when they already played each other. So expect a good one there. That again, you know. I think the only two teams that could theoretically take a loss Saturday uh, and still be in are, of course, Georgia and Michigan. Georgia definitely, I think, you know, I, I think with the year they've had, there's no way you can keep them out at this point. But for a team like TCU and USC at 3-4, and four, uh, of course, you've got to win on Saturday to, to get yourself in. Uh, speaking of Georgia, they take on number 14, LSU, 4 p.m. on CBS in the SEC Championship game. Um, LSU, you know, of course, coming off an embarrassing loss at Texas A&M last Saturday. So uh, looking for a good bounce back win. This is a game that I feel like, you know, two, three weeks ago, especially after LSU took down Alabama, a lot of people kind of, kind of raised their eyebrow and said, hmm, LSU can make things interesting, but now I I don't know. You know uh, how good is Georgia? Uh, we're gonna certainly find out on Saturday uh, when they take on the Tigers. Of course, you know Georgia handled Tennessee, who was arguably their hardest game. Uh, handled that game pretty easily, so we'll see. Uh, and then in the AAC, that is the American Athletic Conference, at 4 p.m. on ABC, you've got number 22 UCF taking on number 18 Tulane. Uh, you know, this is a game that's interesting just because of the fact that in two years, as mentioned, uh, the winner of this game is likely going into the 12-team playoff. So would it be Tulane? Would it be UCF? Uh, fun matchup to watch there for a good game, especially if Georgia is a blowout at 4 o'clock. And then we head into the 8 o'clock slate on Saturday night, Big Ten Championship game between Purdue and number 2 Michigan, 8 p.m. on Fox. Uh, Michigan, you know, heavily favored in this one. I believe it's like a 16 16- 17 point spread in this one uh Purdue uh, you know unranked somehow won their division in the Big 10 uh so big championship game there uh but you got to believe that a win by the Wolverines pretty much nails them in at number 2 and then your final conference championship game this coming Saturday we're talking about is in the ACC number 9 Clemson taking on number 23 UNC 8 p.m. start on ABC that game being played in Charlotte uh, no real impact on the college football playoff at this point. Uh, even with the win, Clemson isn't getting in uh, from number nine. And then Carolina, of course, you know, 
winning the conference championship here could be a big deal. Uh, you know, they haven't won one since 1980, which was also the last year they had an ACC player of the year until this season where Drake May was just named ACC player of the year. Of course, in 1980, it was Lawrence Taylor. Uh, and who did UNC defeat in 1980 for the ACC championship? None other than Clemson. So uh, some interesting history there that I'm sure will probably get brought up during the broadcast, some fun history. Uh, but of course, this is the last year of a conference championship game for the ACC that sees the Atlantic and Coastal Division champions playing each other since that is going away. So, uh, you know, it'll be interesting to see in years to come, you know, especially with what Carolina is trying to build, how they're going to fare uh, now that, now that conferences or now that uh, divisions are going away. And then Clemson, of course, with a down year, uh, but still can possibly hang a piece of hardware on the wall uh, with an ACC championship. And of course, that game again is on, on ABC at 8 p.m. The extra point. Purdue quarterback Aiden O'Connell led the Boilermakers to a victory last Saturday over rival Indiana just days after his older brother, Sean, passed away. The school tweeted a statement from O'Connell on Sunday that announced his brother's death, but did not disclose or, or detail the cause. O'Connell, a six-year senior, was 18 of 29 and threw for 290 yards, two touchdowns, leading the Boilermakers to a 30-16 victory that gave them the Big Ten West Division title. Purdue will now face number 2 Michigan in the Big Ten title game this weekend in Indianapolis. So playing us out this week is the Purdue All-American Marching Band with their fight song, Hail Purdue. Until next week, I'm Cam Matthews. This has been the Chatting Yardage Podcast, brought to you by Sports Drink. Want to be part of the conversation? Follow the show on Twitter at Chatting Yardage. We'll see you next week for another brand new episode.